Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. So glad that you are joining me today. And today and tomorrow, I want to talk about the subject of friendship and the new commandment. And so we're going to look at a couple of different passages, but by way of introduction, uh, there's a lady by the name of Molly Lee. She was a passenger on a flight from Charlotte to New York. And there's another pastor that was flying with her, and, and she made it very clear that she was not comfortable. She said it was at the point that the woman began crying. One of the flight attendants overheard the woman and immediately went to comfort her and to help her, help her overcome the anxiety that she was experiencing. Lee says he was just reassuring, so calming, and said, you know what, I got you. I'm going to be there for you. Just anything you need, you just let me know. With every little noise, she'd be like, what's that? He's like, oh, that's okay. That's just the jet bridge blowing away, or whatever the case may be. And that really helped her. He didn't have to do that, you know. And to just see someone extend their heart in that way to a stranger was just so beautiful. And as you think about that, wouldn't you love to capture that kind of moment? Lee said that flight attendant sat next to the woman for nearly 10 minutes, just holding her hand, just reassuring her that she was safe. She was able to capture that moment in a photo. Uh, she posted it to her Facebook account. The post has since been shared more than 11,000 times. Well, as you look at the Bible, the Bible gives us commands. The Bible gives us a new command given to us by Jesus himself. But as I look at uh, where our world is today, uh, there was an article in CNN that reported of two atheists, and they wanted to rewrite the Ten Commandments. Uh, can you believe such a thing? Well, the article begins with this question. What if, instead of climbing to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments of God, what if Moses had turned to the Israelites and asked, hey, what do you guys think we should do? This was the idea behind a Ten Non-Commandments contest, in which atheists were asked to offer modern alternatives to the famous Decalogue. The contest even offered $10,000 for the best ideas. Well, the contest drew more than 2,800 submissions from 18 different countries and 27 United States states. Well, the proposal of non-commandments ranged from all these quizzical, well, don't follow your nature, to others saying, well, we ought to be thriving in space as our ultimate goal. So they had a team of 13 judges, and they selected 10 of the more sober and serious submissions and announced the winners. The article summarized the list this way. Now, this is pretty amazing when you look at this list, okay? So here are the winning 10 non-commandments. Uh, number one, be open-minded, be willing to alter your beliefs with new evidence. And as I look at that first one, I think some people are so open-minded that their mind is done falling right out of their head. Uh, being open-minded, I'm all about being open-minded, but there are some core beliefs that should not and do not change. Well, here's the second one. Uh, these are the 10 non-commandments. Strive to understand what is most likely to be true, not to believe what you wish to be true. All right, uh, that's, that's not too far off. Uh, but how about this one, number three? The scientific method is the most reliable way of understanding the natural world. Well, there's some things that science can't teach us. 
Uh, I'm all about science, but it amazes me that, that we won't follow the scientific method if we have a preconceived notion about something. So the scientific method uh, is a good way of understanding certain things, but there's some things that we cannot believe within science. Uh, number four, every person has the right to control their own body. Wow, that's pretty amazing. I have the right to do anything I want with my body. Uh, my Bible tells me that I've been bought with a price. I am not my own. We've been created in the image of God. The one who created us has also given us an abundance of ways and uh, how we should be controlling our body. What well, number five? God is not necessary to be a good person or to live a life full of meaning. Well, I don't know about you, but true meaning is only found in a relationship with Christ. The one who created me also is the one who creates meaning and purpose within my life. And number six, be mindful of the consequences of all your actions and recognize that you must take responsibility for them. Okay, that's a pretty good one. I, I can go along with that one. How about number seven? Treat others as you would want them to treat you and can reasonably expect them to want to be treated. Think about their perspective. Well, that one's not too bad. That's kind of based upon the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Number eight, we have the responsibility to consider others, including future generations. Well, that one's not too bad either. Uh, number nine, there is no one right way to live. In other words, I guess we could live any way that we want. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end is destruction. How about number 10? Leave the world a better place than you found it. Well, that was pretty good, right? Uh, well, I guess we can agree with about half of these non-commandments that are given, these 10 non-commandments. But as we look at the great commandment, the 10 commandments, the ones that were given on Mount Sinai to Moses, are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That summarizes the whole of the Ten Commandments. So this new commandment is made possible all because of the death of Christ. Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment to love one another as he loved them, and we're to love one another. This new commandment to love one another is a commandment that is given to us as followers of Christ. And Jesus says, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So today, I want to talk about friendship and the new commandment. And I see this new commandment being carried out in the church. So I love my church by loving others because it is actually a commandment given to us by Jesus. Now, I want you to write this verse down. It may be hard if you're driving. Uh, maybe you can jot it down, but 1 John 3.11, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is the command. This is the message. We should love one another. It's not optional. It's a command. God's commands are based upon our loving Him first, and loving others. Now, we're never going to be able to love others the way that they need to be loved until we first have learned how to love God. We love Him because He first loved us. God displays His love to us 
by entering into a relationship with us, by giving us his creation to enjoy that points back to him, by giving us a conscience that awakens our heart to the fact that we need to have a relationship with Christ. That's why there's creation and a conscience. But it's also a command that is given to us. As we receive God's love, it will help us to love others. We're also to love our church by loving others because it is exemplified by Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't say, do what I say, not as I do. He said, no, no, you can follow me. John 15, 12. My commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. I've given you this example. Now, as I have loved you, you are to love others. I think it was John Lennon who said, I get by with a little help from my friends, right? I learned to love others by learning to receive the love of Christ. As he has loved me, I love others. And so there's a bunch of questions that this begins to answer. The love of Christ. Does Jesus ever ask us to do anything that's unexpected or something that is beyond our capacity? No, he doesn't. His love for us is conditional. Does Jesus love us more if we perform better? Does he love us less if we fall short, if we make mistakes? No, no, his love for us is unconditional. So we are commanded to love. We are given the example of Jesus and how to love. And number three, it is planted in us. This capacity to love is beyond our ability in and of ourselves. So it's actually planted within us. 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded. So as we understand the name of the Son of Jesus Christ, as we believe in that, in him, this is where salvation takes place, as we put our faith and trust in Christ, then we're able to love as he commands us. You know, as I think about this, I get in my mind this mirror. And as you look at a mirror, you receive the image of Christ. Now, a mirror doesn't create an image. It only receives one. Jesus Christ is the image. You are the mirror. And we receive Jesus as Lord. We also receive his image. So in order to receive, a mirror must be clean. It must be uncovered. Can you imagine going into your bathroom and say, okay, I'm going to fix my hair. And uh, you look in the mirror and, and the mirror is covered, right? There's a drape over it. Or the mirror is fogged over because you just got out of the shower. In order for you to have a good image, you got to get that cover off the mirror. Uh, you've got to clean the mirror. And, you know, there's a lot of people with a blinded mind which they just put like this shroud over their hearts. You must be open. You must be willing to receive Jesus. Now, there's something else about a mirror. It's got to be pointed in the right direction. The mirror is going to receive whatever it is pointed at. So the secret of becoming like Jesus is to receive the image of Jesus by constantly looking at Christ. This is why we call it a personal relationship with Christ. It's not looking at somebody else's life to see Jesus. We hope that they reflect it, but we go directly to beholding Jesus. There's something else about a mirror. In the darkness, a mirror cannot reflect anything. You got to stay in the light. You got to keep focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only must you receive the image of Jesus, you must retain 
the image of Jesus. You know, if you keep your heart fixed on Jesus, the image will never disappear. If you're saved, your inner nature is Jesus Christ. And when you are transformed, that inner nature begins to come to the surface. That's where you are changed. You will continue to be more and more like Jesus Christ because you are a mirror that receives His image. And then, by continuing to behold the Lord Jesus Christ, you retain His image. And finally, you must reflect the image of Jesus. Retain it, be in the light, not in the darkness, uncover the fog. If the mirror is soiled, get it clean. But then lastly, we've got to reflect the image of Christ. As has already been said, being like Jesus is not accomplished by imitation, but by reflection. You know, imitation is mechanical and it's, it's occasional, but a mirror doesn't have to work to reflect. You know, many times, you'll not even be aware that you're reflecting Jesus because it just becomes second nature. When I think about lasting friendships, lasting change is required to have a biblical friendship. The key word in that statement is biblical. You see, not all friendships are biblical. In fact, some may be very unbiblical. Some friendships don't help us. They actually impede our progress on the pathway to reflecting the image of Christ. We need biblical friends. We need people who will reflect Christ and will be in the image of Christ. We need people that can help us to develop a life pattern of change, becoming more and more mature as followers of Christ. As you surround yourself with biblical friends, you're going to discover that you will begin to flourish spiritually. You see, we can't flourish spiritually by ourselves. You know, as I think about being transformed, there are wonderful biblical examples of lives that were better because they got together. That's why God has called us together, and that's why this wonderful thing called the local church is so important. Listen now, you need to be connected with a local church. You know, one of the things I've noticed, and I have a few people that are, are kind of this way even at my church, that they never have joined a church. They kind of just float around. They go to this church for a couple of weeks. They go to that church for a couple of weeks. They go to another church for a couple of weeks, and they're never really connected with any particular church. When you think about what Christ has done for us, he died for the church. Your local church needs you, and you need your local church. How are you going to be accountable to a church that you don't belong to? How can a church bless you when you don't really belong to it? I guess it's kind of like saying, I want an inheritance from my family, but I'm not part of the family. No, the inheritance goes to those who are part of the family. When I look at friendships within the scriptures, friendships should help us to reflect the love of Christ. I think about Abraham, who had Sarah, his loving wife and good friend. And I, yes, she made mistakes, they made mistakes together. But Hebrews 11 tells us that she was a woman of faith. She stuck with Abraham through thick and through thin. Without the loving, supportive cooperation of Sarah, Abraham would not be where he was. Abraham would have had a much harder time following God's call. But Sarah went along with him, following the Lord. What about Moses? I mean, whose life cannot be understood apart from the role of supportive friendships? 
Moses had a family member, Aaron, his brother, to speak for him. And then he had another family member that really helped him, Jethro. That was his father-in-law. Jethro provided leadership consultation to help Moses. I mean, Moses was becoming overwhelmed with all that he had to do. Jethro says, you know, this is not good, Moses, what you're doing. You're burning yourself out. Uh, So he came up with a plan. It's actually called the Jethro Principle. It's where you divide people and you give people different orders to do, and, and, and that relieves the main leader to only handle the decisions that are more difficult. You delegate authority. And then Moses had Miriam. That was his sister who stood with him, even when the people rebelled. You see, Moses' friendship extended beyond his family. He also had Joshua and Caleb. When everybody else doubted, these partners in faith supported Moses. They were the only two who saw that they could conquer the promised land. Remember, they were the two spies that went in. Out of the 12, 10 came back with a negative report. Not Joshua and Caleb. Uh, They came back with a positive report. As a matter of fact, I love Joshua and Caleb so much, uh, I have a son. First name Joshua, middle name Caleb, named after these two spies. You see, Moses experienced firsthand the blessing of biblical friendship. You know, this could go on and on. I could talk about Ruth and Naomi, who gave sacrificially of themselves to one another. I could talk about Esther, uh, and I could talk about the fact that God used her. I could talk about David and Jonathan. I could talk about Elijah and Elisha, these two prophets that were under attack, but how they lifted each other up. Then we could go to the New Testament. We could look at the fact that Paul had Barnabas, who supported him when everyone else feared. Paul had Barnabas. I could talk about Silas. Paul is there with Silas singing while they're incarcerated in prison. They didn't have time to get discouraged about their situation, so they just start singing a song. Peter had John, and John had Peter, and of course, Jesus had the twelve. Paul had Timothy, or Timothy had Paul. And as we look at this, everywhere that we see good things happening, we see friendship. Matter of fact, Jesus chose 12 companions, and he sent them out to do ministry, and he sends them out how to buy two. And he sent out the 70 ministers in Luke chapter 10. And then again, he sends them out two by two. Why? Because there's the power of biblical friendship. Now, some of the greatest disasters in all of the Bible come because people had wrong or unbiblical friends. You know, oftentimes I see inmates when they are released from prison, and they keep up with me for a little bit, and and I, I get a little concerned when they cut off communication with me. And oftentimes I've heard the same story over and over again. They would say something like this, you know, I got out of prison. I got involved in church. I got a good job. I was doing pretty good until I ran into some of my old friends, the wrong friends, and they dragged me down. You see, when I think about unbiblical friends, I think it's better to have no friends at all than to have unbiblical friends. You see, Eve's biggest problem was Adam. Adam's biggest problem was Eve. They didn't help one another. They should have helped one another. That's how sin entered into the picture. You know, Adam should have stepped in and says, 
Now, honey, what are you thinking about? Put that down. Don't bite that forbidden fruit. But Adam wasn't a good friend to his own wife, Eve. And as a result, he didn't step in. Didn't step in and protect his own wife. King Saul had Samuel sent by God to help him to be all that God wanted him to be. Saul's problem was that he didn't listen. You see, he had a biblical friend, but he refused to listen to him. And as a result, his life ended in tragedy. David's downfall was directly related to the lack of biblical counsel. Uh, He didn't listen to his military leader and his friend Joab. The general refused to challenge David after the king gave orders to cause Uriah's death in the battle. Instead of warning the king against being an accessory to the murderer, Joab stayed silent. You see, friends, speak up. No friend can be as damaging upon your thoughts and your actions as an unbiblical friend. I think about Jacob and the incredible potential of his life. In almost every instance, Jacob was alone when he did foolish things. When he deceived his brother, he was alone. When he lied to his father and he ran from his problems, he was alone. And how about Samson? I mean, you want to talk about potential. I mean, handsome and strong. I mean, Samson had a full understanding of the power of God. The Spirit of God was resting upon him. But his life was foolish and ultimately tragic. In every passage we learn about him, where he got himself in trouble, he was alone. You see, we are just like the men and women in God's Word. We have abilities and we have a desire for God to do great things. We have great potential. But without biblical, truth-telling friends, our lives will flop, just like theirs. So I want to encourage you. Choose friends who are committed to change you to be like Christ. You can't go where God wants you to go unless you hook up with somebody who also wants to be where God wants you to be. That's the way God works. You see, every Christian needs biblical friends. And to have biblical friends, you got to be a biblical friend. Proverbs 12:26 says, "The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray." Now there's an old adage and it is so right. You are known by the company that you keep. You know, the corollary to this truth is, so pick your friends wisely. Proverbs 12, 26 clearly warns us that the righteous should choose his friends carefully. Not everybody is a good friend. Not everybody is good friendship material. You know, there's some people in my life, uh, they're not my friends, they're my project, right? There's a difference between a person who's a project in your life and a person who is a friend. I like another old saying Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals. No matter what your age, your friends will affect your life for good or for bad. Abraham Lincoln said, if friendship is your weakest point, then you are the strongest person in the world. C.S. Lewis said, friendship is born at the moment. When one person says to another, what? You two? I thought I was the only one. 
Well, I want to invite you to join me tomorrow for part two of Biblical Friendship. As we look at this great command to be friends and to, and to have friends, I hope that you'll join me tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm praying for you, and if I can pray specifically for you, I will be happy to do that. Just shoot me a text at 252-267-2365, and I'll be happy to pray for you, whatever request you leave me. And if you'd like me to have our prayer team praying for you as well, I can do that for you too. On Thursday morning at 5 a.m., we take all the prayer requests and we pray over them. Well, thank you again for joining me today. That number one more time, 252-267-2365. I'm praying for you today, thanking you for being part of this broadcast. God bless you. Thank you for listening. So Lord, thank you for the opportunity once again to bring your word across the airwaves. I pray for those who have received this message that they will indeed become biblical friends, that they will not only be biblical friends, but they'll have biblical friends, and that you allow them to be better because of the company that they keep. And we are going to give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' most precious and holy name we pray, amen. Well, thank you again for joining me today. So glad to have you on the broadcast. God bless you. 252-267-2365 is the number. Look forward to talking to you real soon. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.